Y'all, y'all, did you remember the RSVP? Y'all know what that, what's, what's that RSVP stuff? Y'all know what that stands for? Okay, can y'all tell me that again? Can, are, is there more than five of you that know it? That's French, isn't it? And it means respond, please. If, you know, if you will, please. Right, I mean, would you, you know, you know that, y'all, have y'all ever done that? Put, you know, like you, you're having an event and you put, you know, RSVP and you put a, phone number or an email on there. Have y'all ever done that? Yeah, how'd that work for you? <laughs> Did people come back to you? You know, you know my wife is, is the colonel's daughter, you know, so she grew up with all the niceties of, you know, how you're supposed to do things and everything, and she always likes to do that, and, and, and I'm always telling her, they're not going to do that. I mean, you know, I mean, it, you know, we used to have Emily Post, remember? Miss Manners, you know, how do you do things and, and rules about how you do things and all that. And, you know, if you get something with an RSVP, you let people know if you're coming or not and all those. Nobody does that anymore, right? I mean, all that, you know, we, the, the rules have all kind of gone away and it's all kind of whatever. And, and you know, actually, it's, it's a little different uh, when you travel around the world. One of the things you learn is in different parts of the world, it's a little different kind of thing, you know, and in some parts of the world, if you issue a dinner invitation, your guests are free to invite guests to come with them to dinner, but they don't have to let you know that. You just need to have enough food and be ready. And actually, that's fairly common through quite a bit of the world, uh, you know, some places more than others, but it, it's more often than you would think. So, you know, we, we have all these kind of rules about how you're supposed to do everything and how the dinner's supposed to go and who's supposed to do this and everything. And, and you just need to, you know, in, in our day and age, you know, that really is just all kind of gone by the board. It, it's, it's really just, it's a whole different world out there. And, and what you need to hear this morning is that uh, that's kind of the way it is with the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Mm. Father, we come on this uh, overcast, foggy morning. We ask the, the wind of your spirit to blow the fog out of our brains and our hearts and our spirits and let your light shine in. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Try to get Kurt to sing Foggy Day in London Town. He wouldn't do it, so... No. So, the, so, so the story, Luke tells us a story today about a dinner party, and it starts off uh, one time when Jesus went for a Sabbath meal with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees. All the guests had their eyes on him, watching his every move. Now, you should understand when, when he starts this off, he's telling you, that, you know, this is not just, you know, <clears throat> over for dinner on a regular kind. This, this is the Sabbath meal which is a big deal in this culture, and he's with one of the top Pharisees. So this is, this is not just, you know, kind of a, you know, casual dinner or whatever. This is, this is a fancy schmancy kind of deal. Uh, these, these are, you know, high society people, uh, and it's a high-profile meal. This is, this is kind of a big deal. And, and everybody's watching them. Do you ever have that experience? You go somewhere and you feel like everybody's watching you to see what you do and what's happening? You know, the about time before last, I think we when we went to uh, Kenya, we went to the home of uh, the little girl that Ashland sponsors, and so uh, it, it was a big deal. I mean, it, it's it's really a big deal. I mean, you know, like school let out 
it was that big a deal. The school let out so that the school children could all be there and sing and do poetry and so forth and everything. And, you know, there's, we're going to see a, a, a child and her two parents and there's like 80 or 100 people in the, in, around the house, you know, and everything there to greet us. And people are dancing and singing. I mean, it, it, it's a big deal. And, and, and we get ready to have the meal and they bring us in, they sit us down. And of course, there's enough food to feed everybody there, but it's all on the table in front of us. So it's kind of an overwhelming amount of food that's there and, and all this wonderful, wonderful kind of stuff that they've fixed for us. But one of the things they've done is they stewed a chicken. So there's a big bowl of stewed chicken. And when they stew chicken, you know, they just whack the chicken up and throw it in there. So it's not cut up the same way we're used to. And bones and all are in the stew. And, and they ladle some of that out in a bowl and they set it in front of Ashlyn. And, uh, and we're there at the table. And the lady across the table from Ashlyn does what is actually a very a, a gift of hospitality in their culture, which is she reaches across the table with her hands and begins to pull the meat off the bones for Ashlyn. Now, in our culture, we don't do that very often, but over there it's quite common. But there, she starts doing that, and of course, they're all watching us, and Ashlyn turns and looks at me with the, oh my gosh, what do I do, Dad, look on her face, and I'm going, just eat it. Just eat it. And to her credit, she did. She did really well. But, you know, that all eyes are on you. They're all watching what you do. And, you, you know, you don't want to do anything that might be offensive or, or hurt someone's feelings. So you're being very careful. So he, he's there. He's with the Pharisee, you know, top leader. In the, and, and they're having dinner on the Sabbath meal. And everybody is looking at him. And, and, and it's a teaching moment. It's a teaching moment. So he, he tells a story to the guests around the table. Uh, noticing how each had tried to elbow into the place of honor, he said, when someone invites you to dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Now, first off, you're just going to have to own folks. There might be somebody more important than you. I know it's hard, but you just have to go there. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Then he'll come and call out in front of everybody, you're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this man, and red-faced, you'll have to make your way to the very last table, the only place left. Now, now you know, <clears throat> when we do weddings these days, uh, frequently uh, it's kind of more common that they'll do a meal after the wedding service, and the pastor will be invited to that, and, and, and you know, we're never really quite sure what we're supposed to do. <laughs> you know, we, we, it's kind of like, I, I don't know, because... You know, again, there's no rules. Now, now, some people, it's just kind of a free-for-all. Everybody sits where they want to. And some folks, they like to put those little name cards on the table. has your name on it. So then you know, because you can go around and find your name. Okay, this is the place I'm supposed to sit. But sometimes you just don't know. And different families will want to do things differently. Like, here's the head table, and here's a bunch of tables. And maybe at the head table, they want to have all their immediate family members. And so they want you to sit over here. Or maybe what they want to do is have all the people who actually were involved in the wedding. So you're going to be up there with the bridesmaids and the groomsmen and, and those folks at the head table and the bride and groom at the head table. Or, or, you know, maybe it's going to be a group of close friends and they want you. I mean, and so, you know, when you walk in, one of the things you learn is you walk in and you just go, where would you like for us to sit? Because it's so much more nice to, to have them tell you that than to sit down and have them come and say, oh, I'm sorry, that's grandmother's seat. You need to go over there, right? I mean, it, it, and so Jesus understands, you know, when, when you come in, don't, don't take the place of honor. Don't assume that's yours. You don't know that. And it's so much easier to be invited up than it is to be invited down. When you're invited to dinner, go and sit at the last place. 
Then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, come up to the front. That will give the dinner guests something to talk about. What I'm saying is if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. You know, the worst thing about having your nose in there and coming flat on your face is there's always someone there to see it. You know, it's bad enough to fall, but there's always someone that sees it. And the embarrassment of that. So, so instead of lifting yourself up, you know, humble yourself and let somebody else lift you up. Uh, we talked about down-to-earth humility back in December when we were going through that series. And out of Philippians where, where Jesus, you know, he pours out himself and he humbles himself, uh, takes on human form. And in the midst of that, I showed you a drawing that I borrowed from my friend J.D. Walt, uh, where he talks about, you know, in, in life, if you build yourself up, life will tear you down. It's inevitable. Whenever you get up there and you're proud and you're full of yourself, that's when bad things always happen, isn't it? You know, the, the most dangerous phrase you ever hear anybody say, and you know if you've ever heard somebody say this, the most dangerous phrase they can say is, do you know who I am? Because that's all, I'm sorry. Once they said that, it's, it's all downhill from there, you know. It's all downhill from there. But if you lift yourself up, life is going to demote you. It's going to tear you down. On the other hand, what, what the gospel tells us is when Christ humbles himself, God lifts him up. When we humble ourselves and we lower ourselves, then God lifts us up. And, and which way would you rather live? Would you rather constantly have life tearing you down? Or would you rather live with God constantly lifting you up? So Jesus tells a story to kind of set that tone of humility to the people that are around the table. And then he turned to the host. And looking around at who's there and who he's invited, he says, the next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors because that's who's sitting around the table. Don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. You know, who, who do you invite? Now, now in this day and age, uh, when you invited people to dinner, it was, it was more than what we're used to. Uh, we invite people over to dinner, and it's, it's a nice thing to do. But in, in this day and age, when you invited somebody to your table, you, you kind of created a covenant with them. It was a way of honoring them. Uh, you invited them into your life to be part of your life. And in return, you now had the right or the privilege to have a seat at their table even unannounced. So this created a connection between you and that person. Uh, there was more to it than what we're used to. I mean, it, it bound you together with that person. So, so folks, when they had dinners, they, they invited the people they wanted to be connected with uh, because either uh, they loved that person or because that person could do something for them, you know, or make them look a little better. So, you know, your, your guest list was very carefully vetted to be sure you had the right people at the table. Now, those of you who've done weddings, uh, you, you've done something similar, right? On your guest list, you, know, you go through the guest list and you're thinking of who to invite and, and so forth. Anybody, if you've done, it, done that kind of thing? I mean, when, when Forrest and Mercedes got married here about five years ago, um, 
we, we had this long discussion about who's going to be on the guest list because it, we were going to a small venue down near Driftwood. And, and let, me, let me tell you how small it is. If you put the address of the place in Google, it'll just tell you no such address. Google doesn't know that this place exists. So it's a very small venue, uh, and, and we could only handle a very few number of people, both because it's a small venue and because they were on a very modest budget. And, and so they, they came up with a guest list of about 50 people that they wanted to invite, and mostly family with a few very close friends, and brought that in and, and, and went to my wife and said, uh, you know, Mom Devinny, would you look at this and, you know, give us some suggestions, see if we done this right is there anybody maybe you think we should change or whatever and Cindy immediately added 100 names to the list and they were kind of went oh no no thank you we can't do that I mean it's hard it's hard to narrow it down you know for and, and those of you who've done a wedding anytime where you've had to be selective because of the venue or whatever about how many people you're going to invite you know how tough that is but we tend to invite the people who are most important to us, who we're most connected with, or who can do something for us. And it was the same thing back then. You invited the people that you wanted to be connected with. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. Don't go invite the people that, that you don't necessarily want to be connected with, who can't do anything for you, the, the people from the wrong side of the tracks. You go out and invite those people. And that was shocking that's not the way we do it. And, and one of the guests that's there is so shocked, he, you know, that he triggers a response. You know, how fortunate the one who gets to eat dinner in God's kingdom. Now, this is how you need to hear that. This isn't, this isn't joyful and so forth and so on. When Jesus finishes saying, go and invite the misfits, there's this long, awkward silence at the table because they all know that's not who they are and not what happened. And, and so, have you ever been at one of those dinners where somebody says something really awkward or embarrassing or whatever, and the whole table goes silent, <gasps> and, and, and somebody decides, i got to say something to break this silence, I can't stand it anymore, so, so somebody finally goes, i, I got to, how, how great it is, you know, how fortunate if you get to eat dinner in God's kingdom, because, <laughs> you know, you got to say something, can't have that silence hanging over the table. And, and whoever blurts that out is probably thinking of dinner. You know, meat, potatoes, vegetables, you know, they're thinking of dinner. What's dinner really in God's kingdom? It's the bread. It's the wine. It's the offering of Christ himself. That, that's dinner in God's kingdom. <laughs> it's right here on the table. That's dinner in God's kingdom. The offering of Christ himself. I mean, whoever speaks that day has no idea that they've just opened that door up. They don't know the wisdom of what they've said and the power of it. It's not just fortunate, it's, it's blessed to be able to be at the table in God's kingdom. And Jesus follows up. Yes, for there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out a servant to the invited guests saying, come on in, the food's on the table. Then they all began to beg off, one after another, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and need to look it over, send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen and I really need to check them out, send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married and need to get home to my wife. 
Now, except for the last one, that might be legit, right? Just saying, that might be legit. Really? Is that piece of property you just bought, is it going to look any different tomorrow than it does today? Are those oxen going to be any different tomorrow than they are today? There's no rush here. This is just ordinary stuff. I mean, have you ever had a big event in your life, some great celebration you want to have, and you invite people to come, and they make some lame excuse about why they can't be there? Oh, I'm sorry, but I have a hair appointment. You know, that kind of thing. And how did it make you feel that instead of coming to celebrate this great event you've invited them to in your life, they've chosen some triviality in their own? all of a sudden you feel devalued because they've chosen some lame something or another in their own life over an important event you've invited them to. How is it if we're invited to the kingdom, to dinner in the kingdom, and we come up with some lame excuse? Well, Jesus, I'd like to do it, but you know, I really haven't done much Bible study lately, and I don't really know much. So, you know, let me start taking some Bible studies. Maybe if I, after I have 20 or 30 of them, I'll know enough to come in and, and join you, right? We have all these wonderful excuses we come up with. You know, oh, I'd, I'd love to come, but you know, the kids are little, and I have to spend time with them, and then they get little, or not. Oh, I'd love to come, but the kids have all these activities that I have to drive them to, and then they get their driver's license. Oh, I'd love to come, but you know, I have to go to all their events, and just wait till after they graduate from high school, and then just wait till after they graduate from college, and then just wait until after they're married, and then, oh, wait, I've got grandkids. You know, we can always find our excuses as to why we don't come to the table, can't we? Now, <laughs> there are some legitimate reasons why people don't come. Well, let's be honest. You know, sometimes the church beats people up. Sometimes we beat people up. And they have a legitimate beef. I don't want to go in there because those folks are mean to me. And they have a legitimate reason. But sometimes we just grab any old lame excuse to say, oh, that's great that you want me to come to the table, Jesus, but really my life's more important than that. And the saddest excuse I've ever heard is when somebody says, oh, I'm not worthy. You know, over the years I've had several times when I've noticed someone who doesn't come and take communion in one of the congregations and and I'm thinking, well, maybe they're not feeling good today or they're sick and they don't want to share that or whatever. And, and I'll go and I'll say, you okay? Everything all right? And they'll say, oh, and they'll tell me about what happened that week. I'm not worthy to come and take communion. And let's be honest. We all have those weeks, don't we? We all have those weeks where, you know, you get to Sunday and you think, oh, I really, this was not a good week for me. You know, when I, was in a, when I was in seminary, we went to a, an Orthodox church up in Denver to, to, take, uh, to, to share and worship with them. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting service. It wasn't very well attended, but, you know, you have to stand for the whole service, and it's about an hour and a half long or two hours. So, you know, we, we kind of did it. But, but when they got to communion, I noticed that not many people were taking communion, hardly anybody in the congregation went to communion. And we were asking the priest about that afterward, and he said, well, you know, 
in, in our tradition, you know, you have to do certain things to prepare yourselves to be worthy of taking communion. You, know, you have to do confession, and you have to fast for 24 hours before you take communion, and you have to abstain from sex for 72 hours before you, and I'm going, well, no wonder no one's there. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you have to qualify, that's not what Jesus says, though, is it? He says, go get the folks that, that you don't think qualify, the misfits. All those folks, those are the ones to invite in. And stop making excuses. You just have to be willing to leave that stuff behind and come. That's the only qualifier, is you got to be willing to leave the world and park your baggage outside the door and come in and sit down. You just got to show up. The servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant, quickly get out in the city streets and alleys, collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and homeless and wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, Master, I, I did what you commanded and there's still room. The master said, then go to the country roads, wherever, whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. Because, you know, if, if, if you refuse to come to the table, you don't get to eat. And God wants to fill the place up. So the invitation goes out to whoever will come. Whoever will come. Years ago when I was at South Bluff and Corpus, uh, the neighborhood we were in was nicely called a transitional neighborhood, uh, which means it was really rough. And um, because of that, the property values were low. Uh, and, and because of that, uh, some of the agencies around town were buying uh, property and, uh, and establishing halfway houses. Uh, some of them were people with mental challenges, some with physical challenges, some of them were people coming out of prison, all those kinds of things. Uh, and we were the only church left in that neighborhood at that point. So they started coming to our church because we were the only ones there. And once a month they had a potluck after worship. And, and we had a potluck one time and, you know, there's about 30 or 40 of these folks from these different places that have come that day and, and they're eating and everything. And some of my members come to me and they say, ah, you've got to do something about it. All these people, they're coming and they're eating up all the food. I'm going, well, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what we brought the food for to get eaten? And I mean, isn't that what we... Well, but we don't know who any of these people are. No, no, we don't. Well, you have to do something about that. Well, what do you want me to do about that? Well, I don't know, but you, you know, we have to do something. We've got all these people. We don't know who they are. I said, well, do you want me to go and tell them they can't come? Well, no, no, we don't want you to say that. Now, some of them actually did. They did want me to say that, but they weren't going to admit it, right? Oh, no, no, we don't want you to do that. Okay, well. You know, I, I don't know why, I don't know who they are, I just know that God's dropped them here in our laps, and, and here they are. So, apparently God wants them to be in our church. And they went on to become class secretaries and members of the boards of trustees and active in the congregation. Some of them were more faithful in their worship service than some of the folks that were long-timers. And they became a solid part of that congregation. I mean, God sets the table. Christ is offered. And the doors are thrown open. And whoever is willing to leave the world behind and show up, there's a seat saved for them.
And maybe that's you or maybe that's somebody you know. But the invitation stands until the table is full. And God will be satisfied with no less. So my friends, understand, there's a seat for you and everyone else who's willing to come to the table. Let's pray. Almighty God, you know us fully inside and out. You know who we are. You know the things we've done, the things we haven't done. Uh, and you know there's mornings we walk into the place and we don't feel worthy, but you remind us that it's not about our worthiness. Uh, it's about your goodness and your generosity. So, Father, we give you thanks that you've thrown the doors open and you've invited us in, that you've saved the seat for us at the table this morning. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.